Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the voice cast, where we take a look at your favorite animated characters and see which voice actors played them the best, the worst, and the weirdest. I'm your host, Justin. With me is Will. And our special guest. This is a new kind of episode. We in, well, I wouldn't say the studio because we don't have a studio, but joining us, we have the one, the only, the famous Mike Pollock joining what? us for an interview. What? What am I doing here? Hi, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. We are abducting our thoughts into his mind right now. Perfect. So how have you been doing, sir? Oh, uh, best as can be expected under the current circumstances, what with lockdowns and stuff. Agreeable. It's exciting. Yeah, fair enough. Trip to the doctor involved hazmat suits and not on the on the patients. It was fantastic. <laughs> Sounds absolutely delightful. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this is the future that the Corpowitz family has been fighting for for over 13 generations. Yes, so victory is theirs. <laughs> so, Wills in Queens, I'm in South Florida, so I actually don't know that whole situation of how things are going on in New York. Oh, it's all masks and uh, six feet distancing, and it's fun. Arguably, in the big city, there's no distancing is thrown to the wind because all of last week in all, oh, well, yeah, all of last week it was really rainy. But the Saturday that it started to be sunny, we had people tailgating in the streets with pizza, eating on people's cars, <laughs> standing in turn lanes, people going out with open bottles of liquor, and that lasted all week because we had mm-hmm. nothing but good weather all week. New Yorkers at their finest. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus Christ! I'm partying here. Hey, I'm partying here. Hey, I'm quarantining mm-hmm. here. Hey, fuck mm-hmm. you. You're partying. Yep. <laughs> I still love this one line from this show, Ugly Americans, which is a cartoon set in New York. Just There's a character who's trying to distract me. He's like, hey, look over there over here. <laughs> Great. That's brilliant. So let's just start with the basics. How'd you get started? I started as well. I was born and was a child for <laughs> much of my early years. And then... Grew up loving radio and loving theater. I was able to dabble in theater in school. I was able to dabble in radio in college. And when it came time to pick a real live job, I majored in radio, television, radio, film production, whatever that means, and uh, chose radio as a career only because radio seemed to be, although both uh, radio and theater are notoriously non-permanent employment-wise, radio careers seem to last a little bit longer. Ever so fleeting. Yeah, you'll get fired, but you won't get fired quite so fast. Uh, I picked radio, and then I stuck with radio for a decade and a half or so until radio decided it had enough of me. And then I was able to fall back on my theater experience and use the various characters and crazy voices that I started doing in radio and commercials and things and turn them into a demo tape and sent the demo tape around to studios. And people said, hey, you sound good. Come here. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. The proverbial TV killed the radio star. Yeah, more or less. I still have my radio friends of a sort. Is that how you got started in Central Park Media? Um, no. The uh, first real-life gig that I guess we'd call a gig was um, through a classified ad, uh, and it was recorded in someone's house, and it was uh, far from professional. But it ended up as a VHS tape release. But the first thing that was an actual real-life animated series with a production company behind it was for NYAV Post, and that was Demon Fighter Kocho. And uh, I went to his studio. It was lovely. It was an actual studio with walls and doors and things. And then the next uh, big break, I guess one would call it, would be uh, working for Pokemon. I submitted an ad to a blind box. So it just says, hi, we're doing a cartoon. You don't know who we are, but we want your demos. And when they got uh, the demo and got back to me, they turned out to be the folks at 4Kids who were producing Pokemon at the time. 
And then a lot of uh, networking here and there, and uh, things ballooned and snowballed. Yeah, a lot of people will more know you for Eggman, but do you get a lot of people, you know, complimenting you on your work in the Pokemon series? Um, yeah, there are, it seems, tribes of fans. There are the Sonic fans, there are the Pokemon fans, there is crossover between the two. But yeah, there are some people who, if they love Sonic the most, they will know me from Sonic. If they love Pokemon the most, they will know me from Pokemon. And then the more generalists will say, hey, I found you in Demon Fighter Kosho, of all things. Or, I found you in this commercial you're in. So, yeah, it's, but there are definitely, uh, tribal alliances. Oh, yeah, I, I love all the little weird stuff that voice actors do. Like, one of my childhood things that's just been stuck in my brain, it's Hot Dog Gone It from Fighting Foodons. Sure, Hot Dog Gone It! Hot Dog Gone It! <laughs> God, Fighting Foodons was an experience. It really was. While you are my favorite Eggman, because, uh, as you see, we did an episode on Eggman, I really liked you as Adon from Berserk. Thank you very much. I like a lot of your more serious roles, actually. There are many people who see similarities between the two, and I like to point out that uh, Berserk and Lord Adon came first, before Eggman happened. Mm -hmm. So, for those who say, uh, Adon sounds like Eggman, well, technically, Eggman, Eggman sounds, like, sounds like Yeah, but it's it was not an intentional situation, because I, I'll go on to explain, because I have so little that I can authoritatively explain, but Dr. Eggman was uh, auditioned as a sound-alike role, this Henry Clips of Dean Bristow, and so I sounded like Dean Bristow, I'm Dean Bristow, rah, 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 rah. and we recorded the first few episodes of Sonic X like that, and so the producers came and said, we'd like to do a little more comedy stuff, so we'd like you to put some more peaks and valleys in the voice, kind of like the Jiminy Glick character that Martin Short does, so it starts up way up high and then goes way down low, so Eggman has quite a bit more range after that, so... There's somewhat less similarity between the two now. I really do miss the early 2000s scene with dubbing voice actors because I think it's very safe nowadays. It's just, okay, do a voice. I don't think that there's as much room to experiment and actually make a character your own. Depends on the studio. Some some directors are more taskmasters than directors. Uh, I have had experience working with one guy producing commercials where... I'm normally trusted as an actor to interpret things and at least do things my way first before the director comes back with notes. But this guy said, okay, read the lines exactly the way I read the lines. And I thought to myself, you can't be serious. I'm an actor. So I put my own little spin and my own little variety and said, no, no, I'm reading it this way. You're reading it this way. You're not an actor, you're a parrot. Exactly. So I said, all right, fine, I will leave that part of the brain at the door. Let's get this over with, and let's not work together again, which so far we have not. I'm an editor by trade, so I get that whole thing where it's like, I do something in After Effects I'm creative and I'm really proud of, and then the marketing guy who the boss will listen to a lot more will be like, yeah, this looks good, but this guy said that it won't be very marketable, so we're just going to trash this whole week of work that you just did. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I'm a voice actor and well, I wouldn't say in training, so I'm not sure you can really train for the thing, but I really enjoy voice acting. People tell me, oh, voice this role. And I'm like, are you going to direct me? Like, no, just do I'm like, okay. One mm -hmm. And then I just one and done it. And then they usually take it. I'm like, as much as I like having my roles taken, as much as I like having my takes taken, I don't like not receiving feedback. That's the big challenge now, even more so during lockdown, but before the train, the, the trend has been, Everyone can audition from home with whatever broadcast or almost broadcast quality setups they may have. And while that's fine, I prefer to go to auditions 
well, when, when I can go anywhere, <laughs> which you can't do that now, but where there's a casting director in the room giving notes and saying, all right, try it like this. How about this for an idea with at-home auditions? Here are the notes. Here's the character description. We have this in mind and go. Okay. And yeah, so I'm more inclined, unless they specifically ask for more than one take, it's like, here's one take. And I'm not going to give three choices that are completely not what you have in mind because I don't know what you have in mind. So here's one idea that I had in mind. If you want more, let me know. But it's not great. But that's how it is. Yeah. It, it gets the lines out, I guess. Mm-hmm. With this nowadays, you don't have to set up to actually record the real thing at home, right? Is it just auditions and just wait for this thing to be over? And hopefully you have a whole bunch of work lined up when you can go outside? No, these days actually working from home is working from home. So a lot of the auditions say you must have a broadcast quality studio to record from because we're recording remotely. If you're lucky, someone will direct you either by Skype or by phone or some other two-way communication medium. And you'll record and either send a, a file when you're done or there are all sorts of essentially high-quality versions of Skype um, or Discord, for that matter, that are broadcast quality that you can record on the other end and they sound just like you're in the next room. And that's what happens. And uh, some, some people suddenly decide they're really picky. Oh, no, that's too noisy. You can hear the room tone. You can hear the, the generator from down the block. You can, fine. So, yeah, many challenges. As convenient as working from home is, I'd rather not. I don't mind auditioning from home, but again, I'd rather go out and work elsewhere. But some people just, uh, especially some uh, cut rate places who won't, don't want to pay for an extra studio and you're just, here's the lines, do it and get us back to us and then we'll get back to you with notes if we have them. So, okay. Are you usually solo in a recording studio or are you in, a, are you in with a group of people? Most places, at least in the East Coast, uh, like to work uh, more separately. I can work ensemble style and have worked ensemble style, but even on shows that record in advance, uh, they're more than happy to uh, record everyone separately. Though other shows, for example, the Caillou reboot that I'm in, um, there are three of us and we were all in the same room together. Unless one of us, like me, was is delayed on the on the bus ride in, and they start without me, and then I show up, and then we finish up later. But the idea is that we're all recording together, and that's fine too. Did you also do that on the um when when recording for Berserk? Because I know with the ever famous Berserk blooper reel, mm-hmm. people are like Dreisen, Casca's voice actress, and um, Griffith's voice actress. They often did things in the same room. Were you often in the same room with people? No, I was recording separately. Um, really? And yep, it was, so it was just me, just like a dub. Because it's funny, you were in the Weathering Continent and in Berserk with Derison. Did you ever like meet each other on set and like, hey, I remember you from Weathering Continent or anything along those lines? Or sure, a um, couple of things we've had uh, viewing parties at least in the early years when. There was, everyone was flush with cash and flush with time. We had a couple of viewing parties where I met people. Oh, you're this from the thing. All right, sure. Um, But generally, the way we cross paths, because we're scheduled very much like a doctor's office. You know, you're here at Mm. two, you're here at three, you're here at four. And we see each other in passing. And oh, hi, how are you? Good to see you. So you were Eggman for four kids and the more recent stuff, which I'm going to presume is just Sega. And who takes care of that? Um, ultimately Sega, but the studio does the payroll and stuff. So people call us the Studiopolis cast and I wouldn't call us that only because yes, we happen to record there, but technically I don't, I record, uh, in a studio in New York and I'm patched in remotely. So I guess while the rest of the cast is recording and compiling everything at Studiopolis, Studiopolis is a studio 
Stegen does the ultimate casting and everything else. So, yeah, we they're recording ensemble style. I'm piping in from across the country. So it's a, it's a combination of Sega in charge and subcontracting for a, a recording studio, which happens to be Studiopolis, and Studiopolis subcontracts for the studio in New York. I'm guessing the name Studiopolis came from a Sonic the Hedgehog reference. I asked about that, and they said, no, that's a coincidence. Said, okay, <laughs> oh, so all right. The real-life studio came first, and then the level. All right, I was wondering that, too. I don't know that they're a connection, because although we recorded Studiopolis, the folks creating the game don't necessarily need to know that. Yeah. I mean, unless they're in the booth monitoring the recording, which some of them are. But I don't know. There are, again, so many layers of that onion. I don't know who who would have known about Studiopolis and who chose it as a name. But the one time I asked, because I, I was aware of the the uh, coincidence, I said, no, just a coincidence. Don't underestimate nerds to just pick up on really obscure references. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that the people in Sonic meet where Studiopolis is a thing. Which is all, like, you know, studio and broadcasting themed. There's a lot of stuff in Sonic Mania that fans just picked up on, just threw in. There's the wonderful concept of pareidolia that our brains have where we will interpret random stimuli as something meaningful, like the uh, craters in the moon looking like a man in the moon. So our brains are hardwired to find connections where they don't necessarily exist. So there's that, too. That is that. Oh, yeah. That That is the kind of guy who I am, where I'm just like, okay, so Mindy Cohn voiced Velma for 14 years, and then she was replaced by Cat Susie. If there's some place, it's where that happened, and then I'll just spend two wakeless nights just trying to find some kind of connection until I find a random comment on Twitter or something. Mm-hmm. But then if you uh, try too hard and you go back to Facts of Life and look for Scooby-Doo references, you might be trying to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's nice to dream. It would be funny if A, B, and C... It may not be a thing, and it may be reaching, but interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just the autism in me, you know? Understandable. Use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And he does. He does great work. Excellent. Thank you. Do you want to talk about those Pixar knockoffs you've done? Sure. Everyone likes to think that it's something to be ashamed of, and I will point out, I'm an actor. An actor I'm a working actor, and an actor without work is a bum. Yep. So I, I love working. I love to, the best part about acting now is I get to get paid to do what I love to do, which is fantastic. I'm paid to play pretend. And people commission things to be done because they have an idea in their head and they need it brought to life. And as I also love to say, cartoons can't voice themselves. So why not hire actors? Kind of like the Christopher Walken method. Where Christopher Walken will, if you can, if, if you can get to him, Christopher Walken will act in anything because he likes to act. Sure. The other thing to remember is actors never know where their next paycheck is coming from. We work when needed. We're not like a salary job where you go into an office and work from nine to five and go home. Actors work when they're needed, depending on the medium. Uh, For example, if you're on camera in a TV series, you're working day after day, week after week because of the nature of how TV series are done on camera. But if you're doing voiceover, well, we need you for this session. The session will take two hours. Here's work for two hours. Now go home and find other work to do. If someone dangles work in front of me, I am more than likely to say, sure. Now for those rip-offs that are of an animation quality questionable, I'm guessing you kind of go free reign with how things are presented to you? I've got a director. The director knows what he wants. He's one of the, ta- the guy that does those is one of the taskmasters I've mentioned. He's oh. not as bad as the guy who says, do it my way or don't do it. But 
he will very often just to save time give the dreaded line reads okay of do it like this and then i do it like that but most of the time i get to do it my way first and he's happy with it but he is a director he has a vision in his head and he just assembles an actor the, the team of actors to get it done for him and that's what we do we're there we are a means to an end and i like to think that he's hiring the people that he thinks are best for the job and if he's hiring me, I'm going to do my best to make the job the best I can make it. That first that first script, though, um, what was the moment when you looked at it and you're just like, oh, this is a weird Pixar ripoff movie? Yeah, I figured it out in the first few minutes in the studio. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not there to, to argue ethics no. or artistic motivation. It's like, oh, OK, this is what someone hired you to do. OK, let's do what someone hired you to do. And I'm guessing when you um, when you get booked for something, I, I know back then they kind of show you things to do so you can do like lip sync tests and all that. Has that changed in the industry over time or do they just trust you on a whim? Um, they'll usually bring us in for auditions. The auditions may or may not be to picture. Um, generally, even for a dub these days, they don't need to be for to picture. They'll show us an image of the character and then just record us wild so that the whoever's making casting decisions can at least hear the voice. But they assume that we know how to um, lip sync and sync to, to lip flap. And if they don't, the magic of Pro Tools will stretch and squeeze and edit and stuff to make things fit. But they trust us, having worked with us long enough, to have a general idea of how to do what we're going to do. Uh, so it's mostly, can you give them the characterization they want? And then once you're in the booth, they'll make sure the process goes smoothly. I'd assume that it's also a little bit more relaxing that unlike dubs where you have to match up to what you're seeing on screen, now that you're actually doing original stuff where the voice acting's first, I'd assume you are able to do that more often, just kind of free range it a bit. Sure. Well, that takes me back to the radio days. In the radio days, there was no picture to worry about. Everything was just recorded to quarter-inch tape at the time. And we would just make sure that commercials timed out to 30 seconds or 60 seconds when they were all produced. But yeah, I, given the choice, I'd prefer to do everything all prelay and without dubbing, but I understand how the industry works and that dubs are a thing. So that's a skill that I need to know how to do. And I do. Truth be told, I'm not looking at the screen nearly as often as I should be because I'm still an audio guy and I want to make sure I'm reading the words correctly. But very often, <laughs> more often than not, the uh, director will say, watch the screen and see where the flap is. There's a break there that you have to do. And he has like a weird flap in that part. So make sure you're paying attention and make that fit a little bit better. On that, as you know, you have a history with anime for the show Last Man, where you were Arumeri. Was it easier to do because the French was the base language or was it just as difficult as Japanese? Just as difficult because, again, the, the pacing is different, but also the words never match because... <laughs> Every language has a, has a different word for everything. So the words are essentially removed and it's just flaps, open, close, open, close, open, close. And the adapter is adapting and saying, well, if I write the sentence in English, does it look like it fits the existing flap, regardless of what the language used to be? So no, it's at that level, at the level of adaptation, it becomes very surgical and very ah. clinical and more, okay, we're counting flaps. There are 17 flaps in this sentence. And I have to make the words, here's a word that ends in an open mouth. So I can't have a word like stop. I have to have a word like go. So how can I craft the sentence to make that fit? Oh, I assume that was all on the translator. It's also a lot of the voice actor too. 
it's a little of both. Presumably, the, it, the scripts start as a translation. The translation gets adapted because direct translations are often full of idiom yep. and poor sentence structure. So there's an adapter that takes that and says, let's turn this into well-spoken English. And then depending on the skills of the adapter, by the time it reaches the director and the talent in the booth, oh, this is poorly adapted. Let's adapt this on the fly, uh, especially the dreaded mockbuster director. He's, he is famous for adapting stuff on the fly and not in the actor-friendly way where it's a cloud-based script document where they'll type in a change that shows up on a tablet on my side immediately. He'll just recite stuff and say, I'm changing the, I'm going to switch the word, the word. Okay, now the sentence is this. What? You got to do that off the top of your head. Right. So I have to now suddenly remember, now the sentence is that? No, this. Okay. Now the sentence is this. Great. Thank you. Next. Improv. Improv skills, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. You really Challenging, but you get used to it. Fortunately, none of this is done live, so, so we can screw up all we want, and it gets fixed for <laughs> for final presentation. I feel the exact same way about this interview. The only person who I would be disappointing is you. Oh, it's fine. I've Believe me, I've heard worse. Oh, that is so nice. Thank you. <laughs> that, that wasn't a, directed in a bad way to anyone involved in or outside of the conversation, but they can all be good. <laughs> yeah, but we try our damnest. Perfect. I also, I also know you do do a lot of these type of interviews. The vibe I've gotten from you is that you are just really supportive of a fan. I mean, our channel, as of this video, is like not even 200 subscribers and still you, you're you perfectly cool with doing this. I mean, one of the things that BehindTheVoiceActors.com really credits and prides is that you were the first voice actor to make an account on there. Mm-hmm. Well, I have learned having a growing fan base as I do. The world is full of misinformation, and I am one who likes to mansplain, I guess is the word, or well, actually. So if I can correct some misinformation, you know, the, the common misinformation, things like, so you were hired because Dean Bristow died? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sonic X was cast and released in 2003. Dean Bristow died in 2005. How does that fit the logic of your statement? Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's almost as if actors retire. Or companies want to make casting changes for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But yes, we Sonic X was cast and debuted two, two years before Dean Bristow died. So the people who smugly say, well, Mike was only Eggman because Dean Bristow died. No. No, it's not Mike true. Mike was cast to Dr. Eggman, and then Sega said, we're keeping the New York cast for whatever reason they decided. So that's also not, very I also admire that professionally. You'd rather be there and you'd rather be there amongst your fans to direct them away from misinformation to not have stuff thrown at you or sure. taking things out of skew whenever possible. And I would like more people to come to me with questions rather than uh, assuming they know the answers to things. Yeah. Well, I've been told I speculate that don't speculate. Assume is asking you and me. Mm -hmm. If there's an answer I can give you, ask me. I'll give you an answer. I also heard that in person, you're an absolute amazing person to interact with in person. A couple of friends of mine, um, Patrick Stewart, mm -hmm. not the actor, and Rez Saiga, <laughs> also uh, Knuckles and Knuckles and Mighty from the Subway Sonic mm -hmm. Friends cast, they met you in person when I was kind of advertising, hey, I got a thing with Mike Pollock, I'm so excited. And like, yeah, we met him in person, he's a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I like to think I'm a nice guy, there are some who might disagree, but you can't please everyone. I've learned that too. Well, ever since I heard your to troll a cyber thief, I've really been 
at least like once or twice a week, just looking through your your SoundCloud just to see if there's anything new. Because thank you, I love thank your Christmas parody. Thank songs. you. I'm, I'm a creative guy. I have a creative streak. I can produce audio, and so I like to bring all those skills together whenever possible. Also, you're Mr. Rogers one. Thank you. I'm guessing that was a labor of love, along with a little bit of parody on the side. That was a job. That was part of my uh, radio syndication gig. Really? Uh, yep. I was, among other responsibilities, was writing uh, 12 song parodies a week at that place. Wow. And we tried wow. to make it topical, so when celebrities die, we'd make a song for them. So oh. we wrote a song for Mr. Rogers, and I was able to use my Mr. Rogers impression to sing it as well. Oh, pretty spot on, too. Thank you. Not much call for that, other than in films that I'm not in, but that's another matter. But yeah, he's one of the voices I was able to do, so sure. Um, so we have another friend of this group, her name is Tori, who completely flipped out when she learned that we were going to be talking to you today. I told her this in text, she responds with, what? And then immediately calls me. Well, that's nice. So I said, hey, I want to keep this small because this is our first interview, but if you wanted to ask a question, just send on through. So this one's for you, Tori. She's a fan of the game Siberia 3, where you voiced a number of characters, including a I'm saying this like you don't already know this. Um, you play like a a drunk captain, I guess. I haven't played it. Captain yeah. Oboe, Nick mm-hmm. Canton, and Dr. Helmut Mangoling. Mm-hmm. So she thought that you were fantastic as always. Thank you. But also in her opinion, she thought that the rest of the cast was, as she said, phoning it in. So I don't know. Did you have any kind of background information for that? Um, actors are like interviews. They can't all be good. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's, it's a combination, I guess, of the actor and the director. I would like to think that dire- the director is looking for the best performance he or she can get. Uh, that may or may not be the case, depending on the director. And, uh, the actor may not be capable of delivering the greatest performance that the director might want. So there are a lot of variables. Um, it's a challenging thing. You've got to be able to audition enough people and hear something in their voice that gives you an idea of, oh, yeah, they can do what we want. Let's bring them in. But not everyone's like that. So I can only take credit and responsibility for my own stuff because I'm not the director. I'm the talent, and I'm there doing what I can do. Do you have any Eggman moments you're particularly fond of? Uh, The live appearances have been huge. All the various Sega-sponsored events, the 25th anniversary, the Sonic Boom event, uh, various um, South by Southwest appearances. Those are always spectacular. All the um, various times you've talked with the Sonic and Shadow voice actors and mm-hmm. just some improv stuff. Yep, and the, the Twitter live streams that we do, which, uh, to be transparent, not improv They sound improv because we're good at what we do, but they're mostly scripted with uh, about 99 scripted, uh, 1% improv. But always a joy to be able to goof around with my colleagues in person and for the twitter uh, takeovers sega is kind enough to bring me out and we sit in a room and we have some fun but yeah anytime i get to be on stage with colleagues and especially on stage with a crowd which who knows if that'll happen after lockdown but you know yeah. that's another discussion for another time so if those never happen again kids who have been there you've been a part of history thank you <laughs> <laughs> oh um speaking of live did you see the Sonic movie? And I wanted to ask your opinion on how do you think that Jim Carrey did Eggman? I've not seen the film, and even if I had seen the film, I wouldn't comment on a fellow, a fellow actor's performance. I don't judge. We are judged all the time. We're judged at auditions. We're judged by critics. We're judged by fans. We don't need to be judged by our fellow actors. Wow. That's actually 
that's really refreshing to hear because Thank we you. live in a we live in an era where everything is compared to everything. If, if if something I was telling someone about an old show that I liked and they said, "Oh, it sounds like this. I like this better, so I'm going to pair compare it to that." I'm like, you can't really compare things from two different time periods. It's that whole pareidolia thing. Well, that reminds that reminds me of this. Good, but in this case, I, as an actor, and I, I hate to get all actory because some people hate that, but actors jobs are to portray multiple roles and if you think back to a stage play for example which i did all through school and community theater you are dealing with a script that has existed for tens if not hundreds of years hi mr shakespeare um so you are stepping into a role that has been played by hundreds if not thousands of people before and will be played by hundreds if not thousands of people again so the role doesn't belong to you, even if people think it does. So in this case, I've shared a role with Jim Carrey. Yay, that's great. But Jim Carrey's performance has nothing to do with mine necessarily. I wasn't involved with the film and Jim wasn't involved with me. So let Jim's performance stand on his own. Let him have his moment in the sun with, his, with the character in the film. It's not my character, not my role. Not my circus, not my monkey. Yeah. Speaking of which, you members of the audience, if you like to hear these kind of comparisons, you definitely should listen to the voice cast after this interview. <laughs> yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong with people who want to compare, but I, because I'm one of the guys doing it, I, I know the professional courtesy that I invoke and that mm, you take your moment. One joy of acting is to be a generous actor and let other people have their moment in the spotlight. So even if you're on stage with someone, don't hog the scenery, don't steal the show, be generous and let somebody else get a laugh or let somebody else have their moment of business. So, sure, I believe in being a generous actor and I'll take my moment in the spotlight then give someone else their moment in the spotlight. Very admirable because I understand that in an interview because I, I really like the old, the, the big great three of old theater, you know, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor and Fred Astaire and... Those three were very competitive with each other, and that kind of... I see a lot with acting and voice acting. Things are often competitive and comparative, and it's really refreshing to hear someone who's just say, let them have their time. If they got chosen for it, they got chosen for a reason. Let them have their moment. Sure, the whole business is competitive. I go to audition when, when I can go to auditions, there are often a dozen people in the waiting room with me, but there have been dozens of people before me and will be dozens of people after me. So I'm competing with the with hundreds of people for a role, and if the casting people choose me over the other 99 people in the uh, in the running, then I'm extremely lucky, and that's that measure of competition. And yeah, I guess I win that round, but then I'm suddenly thrust into a production with a bunch of other people, and there's no reason to hog the performance. If the audience decides that I'm the best thing in the show, great. Let them decide that, but I'm not going to go in saying, It's my show! Look at me! I've, I'll do that as part of the performance, but I'm not going there for the show to be about me. If my performance happens to stand out because of the way I'm doing stuff, great, I've, I've done my job. But I'm not going there because I'm, I'm the big name in lights. One thing, that, one thing that I realized when we did our Eggman episode was that Pretty across the board since the beginning with Long John Baldry in Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, the character's been pretty consistent across the board. There aren't any that I'm just like, that was complete garbage. A lot a lot of them were great. So what I want to ask was whether for some kind of a source or a reference or just for general curiosity, have you ever gone back to hear any of those other portrayals of Eggman just to see? Not on purpose. Uh, we were... 
staying in a hotel in some New Jersey beach town several years ago, nearly more than a decade ago. And uh, I think the uh, Jim Cummings cartoon came on because it was on. And I said, oh, look, it's him doing the thing. Okay, I've seen enough. And I've heard, I've obviously heard Dean Bristow when I was matching uh, the clips for the audition. And I've heard Long John Baldry bits of him doing his thing. And it's, again, I'm getting all actory, but I'm giving the performance that Sega wants me to currently give. If they want me to mimic, mimic something, they'll tell me. Here, sound like this, because sound-alikes are a thing. And I, for some performance, I might need to sound like a previous character. They'll play a clip, and I will do my best to impersonate that clip. But generally, you trust an actor to do what the actor's going to do, and then you give them notes and craft their performance to one you're both happy with. But I don't feel the need to compare, because it's not a competition. I'm currently the guy they've asked to do it, so they'll let me know if I'm doing what they want, and they'll have me keep doing it for as long as they want me to. Nice. Cool. As a, as a voice actor asking a, asking a great, when it comes to like studios and stuff, is it really the whole old style of you gotta go west to make it big, or that the East Coast studios are still just as good? Depends on what make it big means. There is more animation work out in California, but I've got more family and more roots here in the East. So for me, especially at my age, and when I started doing this, I started doing this when I was 38. Um, so a bit long in the tooth for moving out. Lots of uh, actors formerly associated with four kids have moved out, but they were also younger and they didn't have families yet. And they didn't have roots, uh, such deep roots. So for them, going out West was the right choice. But for me, I got family. I got a nearby vacation home that we're quite happy with. Um, so all the things that would keep me out east are preventing me from going out west. And I'm comfortable with that decision. For Sega, I can work remotely. It's a f great thing because it costs them a little extra to have me do that. They've, when they're recording Sonic Boom and stuff that we're doing ensemble style or even the games, they've got to book a second studio to have me in for a couple hours. And that's awfully generous of them. For special occasions, they are generous enough to fly me out and cover expenses to have me do stuff. That's awfully generous to them, for them, of them. What? Hi, pick up a preposition. Um, <laughs> they are not obligated to do that. I'm honored and delighted that they do do that. But also the world of recording allows you to record remotely. I've done lots of stuff where people have been in L.A. directing me remotely. That's much easier to do now. So, yes and no. There would probably be many more new and exciting and different opportunities. However, I will say that the lockdown we're experiencing now, a lot more auditions that would have been just L.A. casting people doing L.A. actors and New York casting New York actors. They're willing to have online auditions and say, got to be anywhere, anywhere in the U.S., anywhere, anywhere in the, in, the, in the world. We'll take anybody from anywhere. So maybe this might change things for the better. One little firefly in the darkness. Yeah, this could change things for the better. Who knows, it can get a lot more people who probably want a chance to, but couldn't get a chance because they couldn't afford the the big move. It could give them a lot more opportunity, which would introduce a lot more new talent into the industry itself, which might sure. revitalize it. So it's not the same 17 big names doing everything. And one the, the, the people that like to say that voiceover is somehow secondary to on camera or even on stage, uh, I will point out that voiceover gives you the flexibility to work remotely much easier much more easily 
grammar. I can record from home, and you don't know that I'm recording. I'm not recording in a big fancy TV studio with big lights and big sets because I can be in a room and sound just like I'm in a recording studio with big padded walls, although I might need padded walls for some other reason. That's a discussion for another time. But I can make my home <laughs> studio sound just as good as a real-life recording studio. Nobody needs to know. So I've been working for remote clients of various budgetary levels for years, and they've been quite happy with the home setup. A uh, cute little thing that I've heard advice from, if if um, if you have a script on your phone or something, to help cut down background audio noise, just put a blanket over you and the microphone because it, mm -hmm. it, it helps cut out stuff out if you can't afford a room made of foam. When I am um, traveling and we, back when we used to be able to travel and we'd stay at hotels a lot, <laughs> um, I would travel with a uh, Yeti microphone in a big padded Pelican hard case, uh, unpack it in the room, build a pillow fort, cover it with towels. I got a little audio booth. It's a little stifling. It gets all close after a while, but I have auditioned and booked things from hotel rooms. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Nothing beats the ever-present and ever-boisterous pillow fort. Cars are actually surprisingly good temporary studios. We were uh, at Hershey Park. And uh, one of my remote clients, we, I was supposed to be on vacation, but when I'm on vacation, I make myself available to the extent that I can be, because I can be. Even on, case, even on vacation, you'll have downtime. Sure, and I've got the microphone with me so I can record. So we were leaving Hershey Park on our way to get tea in a little out-of-the-way tea room, but just when we were due to leave the gift shop at Hershey Park... I got an email saying, we need this ASAP, uh, but we were on a thing. All right, hang on. Kids, family, stay in the store. I'm going to go to the car, unpack my gear, record in the sweltering heat wavy heat in an enclosed vehicle and record something. And then you can all come in and we can hit the road. And I did. It wasn't easy, but it got the job done and it made the client happy. Did you just hold the mic or did you just prop it up on the dash? It was kind of on the dashboard. I had the laptop in my lap. Um, cables draped everywhere, people walking by, staring, waiting for the uh, tour buses to stop idling nearby so I could have a little less background yeah, noise. Yeah, you're probably like, is that guy making a time machine in there? Yeah, pretty much. And it was difficult to see the screen because of the glare and the laptop was running on batteries, so the screen was dim. And it was a challenge, but I, I overcame it. And generally, I prefer to be standing when I'm working, but in the car, not really possible. So it worked. Sitting is bad for you. Mm. It gives it doesn't give you the, the diaphragmatic breathing support that you need. Also, you're much more prone to making noise sitting in a chair than you are standing up. Exactly. I'm very conscious of every squeak this chair is making because I'm sitting over doing But that's okay. That's why I'm sitting on the ground and not sitting in my chair. Yeah, because I gave him a hard time about that because I edit this stuff. Well, enjoy these hearing, huh? <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow, that was fun. <laughs> um, Will, did you have anything else? Not really. All the questions that I that I've uh, that I wanted to ask have they, they've been answered for quite some time. I just came up with some newer stuff on the fly because I I I've talked to other famous people and a lot of them like were very like dismissive or like if they could cut a if they can cut a discussion short they could when it came to like actors and screen actors and play actors. But I loved creating new questions for you, Mike, because. My presumptions of you were on on par. Very charismatic, yeah. very funny, very friendly person, and it's 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 been elating. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm enlightening. Enlightening. Thank it's been very enlightening, and it's been very much a big pleasure hearing from you, especially from someone that I look up to as a voice actor. Thank you so much. You struck the nail on the head 
for what you're known for, and you just kept getting, whether it was the narrator for Pokemon or Eggman, you, you, you struck your nail in, and it stayed, and that's... Voices can change here and there, and like you said, studios can just, oh, we want something else for this. You've stayed a, basically a staple in Thank you. what you've done, and that's that's admirable. That's that's amazing. Thank you. I, my job is to keep clients happy so they keep uh, staying as clients and keep having me back, because repeat business is good business. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had one more just kind of joke question. How would sure. Eggman use the coronavirus to his advantage to take over the world? That's a fantastic question. I have to think if that's going to cause uh, uh, conflicty issues with... Uh, uh, I know that uh, politicizing the characters is bad. Linking them with current events might be bad, even though the uh, Sonic Twitter account just released a quarantine-related meme thing. Uh, but let's uh, see if I can creatively answer that question without stepping on any toes. Um, I guess with everyone in lockdown, it's easier to take over the world! <laughs> I was thinking he was going to create some sort of device to like um to um uh, create create device to help out but then put every government in debt and it's like now I control you all through debt. It's possible. I better better to leave those ideas for the writers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Who knows that that would actually be a pretty funny um Sonic Boom episode everyone everyone catches the flu or something and then Eggman's like, "You know, this is a lot easier when people aren't trying to interfere and now it's boring." Perfect. Which, by the way, your your Eggman comedy on Sonic Boom is I, I I watch that almost every day when I have free time because it's just so funny, especially the poodle the the the, the episode with the pretty poodles. Thank you. Um, check out uh, Alan Denton and Greg Hahn's uh, latest uh, audio uh, animation under lockdown thing, where they uh, gathered me, uh, Cindy Robinson, uh, Colleen uh, O'Shaughnessy Villard, whichever name she's using, and um, Pete Capella to uh, read one of their unproduced pilots. And we did a little uh, audio reading thing, and it's currently on Alan and or Greg's YouTube channel at this time. Well, we're we're, we're definitely go- after after all this is done. We're definitely oh, going yeah. to check that out. Now, for me to do the obligatory outro. Thank you all so much for watching. I'd like to thank Mike Pollock again for doing this. This has been an awesome time. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. If you like what you saw here, make sure to like, comment, subscribe to our YouTube's and social medias at The Voicecast, and listen to the show on your favorite podcast platform through anchor.fm slash voicecasters. Don't forget to check out the many social medias of Mike Pollock. Oh, yeah. Sure, It's a Mike is the best place to find me. Twitter and Facebook, both It's a Mike. Just the way it sounds. I-T-S-A-M-I-K-E. Also, It's a Mike on SoundCloud. Yes. Thank you all for watching, and we'll see you guys next time. See ya. See ya!